Life Management Science Labs would like to acknowledge that we live and produce this podcast on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people. We'd also like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands of our listeners and our international colleagues. We'd like to pay our respects to their elders, past, present, and emerging. Hello and welcome to Self-Improvement Atlas, the personal science inside podcast produced by LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. We are champions of life management science, providing structured insights informed by science and inspired by practice on key aspects of conscious living. Each week, we bring you scientific and practical insights on each element with the expert knowledge of professionals in the field. I'm your host, Aditi Kuti. Let's get on with the show. Hello and welcome to Self-Improvement Atlas, um, the Personal Science Insights podcast. I'm here with Brendan Fraser, the founder of Wired Planning. Welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Um, me too. I'm super excited to chat to you today. Uh, we're going to be talking about smart investment manage- management for beginners today. Um, but before we kind of get into that, um, do you want to introduce yourself um, to our audience? Tell us a bit about what you do. Yeah, sure. That'd be great. Although I think this is always the hardest part, the most boring part for me anyways, because I'm always like, do people really want to know? You know how much do they really want to know? I don't want to, do you ever want to talk too much about yourself, right? It's kind of like, all right, Brendan, we get it. But uh, first and foremost, um, I'm not the actor. Brendan Fraser. We were talking about that pre-show. Though he has recently won an Academy Award, which puts him back on the scene. I was joking with somebody else the other day, telling him that it's kind of funny, but as soon as I saw that, I knew that the mentions of people connecting me to the actor were going to skyrocket in the weeks and months that followed. It's absolutely happened. It's kind of funny. I mean, it's funny. I enjoy it, but um, so yeah, I I have a a couple businesses that, that I run. One where um, I work with people, with individuals, a lot of families around, um, financial planning and money management and what to do with their money and making money decisions. Uh, and then at this point, increasingly doing a little bit more work um, well, with financial planners and advisors themselves and helping doing some coaching with them, Going, had the opportunity to go uh, around the world locally, but also around the world and do some speaking, some coaching with financial advisors and financial planners. I host a, a podcast for advisors and planners called the, the Human Side of Money, where pretty much we focus on all things that aren't related to the numbers, right? So in other words, anything that you can't do with a spreadsheet or a calculator, uh, anything that doesn't have to do with making more money, but has to do with the thoughts, the feelings, the emotions, the purpose that we have with our money, that's what we tend to focus the majority of our time on because nobody really teaches you how to deal with that kind of stuff. And we, we feel like we think that we should be able to look at a spreadsheet or a calculator and make our decision, make the right decision based on what we know logically but what research tells us is we don't make decisions logically, we make them emotionally. And that, that plays out with our money all the time. So we focus quite a bit on that and just trying to learn and get better and hone our craft in that area. Uh, and then at the same time, not only do I do, not only do, I do that, but I'm also trying to be a, a decent father and a decent husband to my wife and our two boys. Uh, and we have a dog as well. So we, I joke all the time and say, I haven't used the word bored in our son's four and a half, so about four and a half years. I don't know, I don't remember the feeling, I don't know what it's like to be bored anymore. Yeah, I think life is just so dynamic when you have children, it's impossible. Dynamic (laughs) is the optimistic view on it, that's exactly right. Yeah, I like that better than crazy and hectic, it's just dynamic, that's right. Chaotic, chaotic is a neutral term, I think, maybe, to describe it. For sure. Um, And I love the way you talked about, you know, the feelings around money and some of the irrationality around it, because I feel like we don't even learn basic financial literacy in school. But when we do, it is based around those rational 
not logical decisions, um, uh-huh. which is almost never how we end up spending it um, later in life. Uh, that's exactly right. That, and it's just like, you think there's a lot of guilt and shame that comes with going, hey, I know what I, I kind of know what I'm, let, let's suppose that you do have the financial literacy component now. And you, you at that point you go, hey, I know what I'm supposed to do. So let's assume you know that, which not everybody does, but say I know what I'm supposed to do. Then there comes this point where you start to have this feel, these feelings of guilt and, and shame or what's wrong with me when you go, I know what I'm supposed to be doing and I'm still not doing it. And that's what's always been fascinating to me, not just with money, but with any in any realm of our lives. So, not, so think about health. You know, like you sit there and you go, all right, I want to lose weight. I want to get in better shape. I want to get stronger. And you know exactly what to do to do that. It's not rocket science. You just eat less, you work out more, right? But it's still really hard to do that. You wake up and you're like, why am I not, why have I not worked out in the last couple of weeks? Why did I eat that cookie last night? Why did I do the things that I knew I wasn't supposed to do? The same thing goes with, with marriages, right? My wife, excuse me, my wife's a, a marriage therapist, right? So she's, she's talking to people all the time about their marriages and the struggles that they have. And it's like, at the end of the day, there's no shortage of information out there on how to have a great marriage, how to get in great shape, what to do with your money. But it's not just about, it's not an information problem that we have. It's an execution problem. And that's what I get passionate about is just helping people realize that it's not just about knowing what to do. It's about getting better at actually, not getting better. It's about understanding the ways to actually do it and bridge the gap between knowing and doing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, hopefully we'll get to talk a lot about that across our episode um, today, um, which is about getting like beginners into investment management. But uh, we have this uh, section called Have You Met Brendan Fraser um, first, uh, in which our audience is going to get to know you um, very well, uh, very intimately. Are you happy to answer a couple of questions? And what if I said no? What would happen? No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, uh, I'm it would, the more podcast than happy. would end and that's what I figured. <laughs> yeah, no, more more than happy. And I also kind of like this uh, being at the beginning because it like, gets everybody warmed up, you know, get to know the person a little bit. So anyways, I when I saw that, I thought that was cool. I'm, so I'm excited to go this route. Right. Awesome. Well, I'm excited to ask you these. Um, so let's start with the first one. What is your favorite book? Okay, so... Well, I guess let me say this first. So I have a list of questions that I ask every guest on my podcast as well. And then when you get some of these questions turned around on you, you kind of feel bad for the fact that you did it to other people because you realize how hard it is to answer questions like that. This is similar to one of the, one of the questions I ask. Uh, so I don't know that I would answer it as my favorite book as much as I would, I would probably give an answer around what's the, if there's one book that has had the biggest impact on my life that I think has the ability to have the biggest impact on anybody's life that's listening to this, it's actually back behind me right now. It's a call, it's Essentialism by Greg McCune. I don't know exactly how to say it, but it's a great guide to basically on how to live a more meaningful, purposeful life by focusing on what's most important and basically removing all the things that aren't important. And I say that because I want to give the one that I think has the ability to impact the most lives. Like another one that's, that's like a bit a big favorite of mine that I'm tempted to recommend would be this book called uh, The Psychology of Money. But I recognize that that's also a little bit more right up my alley. Maybe not, maybe it doesn't resonate with everybody. So anyways, Essentialism is probably the one book that's most shaped my viewpoint and impacted my, the way that I look at and approach life. It, it's most impacted and shaped the way that I go about life. 
Well, we got two books for the price of one there, so that that's not a bad yeah. answer. That's probably a consistent theme with me, by the way, is I have a hard time boiling down one, so you may get a lot of two-for-one meals. <laughs> that's all right. We're, we're, we'll be ready for it. Um, <laughs> what about a favorite movie or at least a movie that you feel um, people should watch? So one of my biggest downfalls in life is my the fact that I just don't watch many movies. Um, and I don't have any good reason for it. Like you, I'm, I'm the person where you go, Hey, have you seen this movie? And it's like a movie everybody's seen and I haven't seen it. And so, uh, I, I, the only movie, when I think about this, the only movie that comes to mind is the movie that we watched most recently with our kids that we loved. And it's called Lyle, Lyle Crocodile. So if you have little kids and you haven't seen it, you have to check it out. It's a great movie. Uh, I also feel, feel weird giving a kid's movie as my answer. So the other most recent movie that I watched that I like really loved was the, the newest Top Gun movie that came out. Uh, I guess that was probably, I don't know, back in 2022. Uh, but yeah, I'm not the person to ask about good movies. I, I, so I, if I admit it, right, I'm telling you right out of the gate, this is not my strong suit. Yeah, that's good. Um, the audience can decide for themselves whether they want to take your recommendations based on that context or not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's important context, yeah. <laughs> for sure. Um, what about a podcast you've been listening to lately? And you can say your own. Yeah, no, I'm not going to do that. Uh, so, yeah, lately, uh, th- well, again, I'm going to go with two. Uh, number one is that I always think when you, when somebody says podcast, I always think about the Tim Ferriss show because I think it's where my, uh, love for podcasts was actually born was from listening to the Tim Ferriss show. And I've kind of tried to model some of what I do on, the, on my podcast based on his approach and the way he interviews and trying to have like a similar feel where it's a deep dive and you get awesome guests and get to talk about cool things. Um, so that's one that always comes to mind, but if we go more recent, uh, the one that's the one that keeps co- popping up for me where I keep talking about it and out in conversation with other people is the Huberman lab. Um, but which is, and it's on the top, it's at the top of the charts. This isn't some groundbreaking insight, but it's one where, uh, there's an, there's an episode on, um, sleep where you kind of look at it and you're like, why would I ever not get the best amount of sleep I could get? There's one on alcohol where you go, why would I ever touch alcohol again? There's, he goes into all these areas of health and life and ways to maximize your, your health, to maximize your life. And, uh, it's one that my wife and I like, we like listening to the episodes at the same time. And then once we're done, we'll like come together and be like, okay, what did you learn? What did you learn? What did you like? Wasn't that crazy? Uh, so that's the one that most recently has been on my mind or may- maybe better yet in my ears. I, I feel like, um, the approach that you and your wife take to that is a really good one, especially with podcasts like ours and like Huberman Labs, which is about self-improvement and just kind of getting better and, um, you kind of learn, but then you have you take that time to process it as well in your yeah. in conversation yeah. with another person. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. That, no, that's well. That was that kind of came out by accident, where uh, we ended up randomly listening to one at the same time, and then we would find ourselves being like, "Hey, did you hear that part? Did you hear that part?" And then we went, "Wait a minute, why don't we do this more often? Like, why don't we intentionally like try to read or listen to the same things and then come together to to talk through it?" So. I wish I could say that was like a genius idea that came about like at the beginning, but it was actually just by accident. So Isaac Newton discovered gravity by accident. So (laughs) (laughs) that's a, that is a great reminder. I appreciate that. (laughs) Um, What about a famous role model that you look up to? Mm. So this is one um, where whenever I get asked a question, this question, uh, I feel like I don't like giving 
common answers, I guess was the best way. I don't like giving answers that are, I feel the need to be like, I can't kind of to go off the grid or give kind of a cool answer, not something that's mainstream. And this one's more mainstream. And I put a lot of thought into this because I didn't want to give a mainstream answer, but I'm going to tell you why I came back to a mainstream answer, which is funny because the Tim Ferriss show and the Huberman lab are both mainstream. But anyways, I digress. Uh, and uh, I think I would say Michael Jordan. Um, and so I've always, I've been, you know, uh, or well, I'm not an athlete technically anymore, but always have been an athlete was like growing up and kind of like still see myself as an athlete, just like I think all athletes do in some way. Um, though I also recognize that physically I am probably not, I would not be an athlete anymore at this point, but, but, uh, I, I always growing up, like aspired to, to be and looked at athletes as role models and, the reason why I'm okay saying Michael Jordan, even though that feels like the most mainstream answer you can give is because there have been a lot of athletes who have come and gone as role models or people that I look up to. And he's the one that I consistently look to every time as being inspiring, motivating, wanting to model certain parts of what I do based on his mindset and his approach. And that's never changed from the day he was started till now. I, I still look at him as being a role model, whereas there are some other role models that were good for a certain point in my life, certain phase of my life, right? Uh, but this is somebody who, what he demonstrates and some of the characteristics that he possesses, they've resonated and stayed with me forever. It's never wavered. So that's why I felt okay using him, even though, despite the fact that it's a mainstream example. Right. Well, I, I think to be fair, you are the first person who said Michael Jordan to that question so far. That makes me show. feel a little bit better, right? <laughs> but like some people are like, okay, well, that's a name we everybody has heard, but but that does make me feel a little bit better. So I appreciate that. Absolutely. Right. Uh, what's the last course that you completed? Okay. Can I change the question a little bit? Mm -hmm. All right. Is that, that's within the rules here? That, that is definitely within the rules. Yes. Okay. All right. Uh, well, actually, here, I'll do this. The last course that I completed was uh, the LinkedIn operating system by Justin Welsh. She's a solopreneur, has awesome content out there on social media, and basically teaches his LinkedIn system. Uh, and it's low cost, pretty short. He, he knows that most courses don't get completed, so he wanted to make it easy and accessible and short so that people could complete it. Uh, and that was awesome. That was great. And, and like, you know, to, in terms of ROI, it was awesome. Like just, you know, it's so low cost. It's hard not to get your money back from it. Uh, but maybe the one that was most foundational or formational for me was a course called, it's called Client Kit. It's from a company called Traffic and Funnels. I paid more money than I ever imagined I would ever pay for anything in my life to for it. And I was hesitant about it, right? Because like, that's a lot of money. But it's the one thing that's completely reshaped how I view investing in myself. Meaning I took this leap, spent a ton of money on it, didn't know what was going to happen. Uh, and I, I guess I don't mind saying I spent almost $10,000 on it. And to this day, the return that I've gotten on it, I can't even quantify it anymore. Like it's well, it's, it's well in excess of $10,000. And so the reason why I liked it was it, A, like it's great from helping you get the right mindset to create content and get your message out there and help people does a great job teaching you how to write, how to communicate online, whether you're writing articles or on social media, how to build your brand, how to create your brand. Uh, more than anything, though, what it did was it, I think it gave me confidence. It gave me confidence. I got to see I was surrounded by a group of other entrepreneurs going through the same thing, going through the same struggles, creating the same things. You could see so what some of them had done, what it was, what was possible and what was capable. 
or what was like within the realm of possibility and just being able to be around it and see it was what was inspiring. And that raises your level of confidence. So to this day, people will come back and be like, I just the other day, I was on a call with a guy where he was like, Hey, I, I love your content so much. It resonates. It's so great. And just every time I read it, it's different. It's better. Or they'll, they'll look at it and go, Hey, how do you do this? How do you come up with all this content that you, how do you do it so consistently? And like, it's not a funny, like you want to like take credit for it and be like, well, here's how I do it. But the best answer I know to give is, well, I decided to take it seriously. So I invested a lot of money in a program that taught me all the, and it's not just about writing content. That's just one component of it, right? It also goes into sales, but it was this realization for me that if I want to get better at something, I could try to spend the time learning it myself, or I could pay to accelerate the learning curve, reduce the uncertainty, get a more predictable outcome by saying I'll pay, I'll pay to learn everything in a packaged way to learn everything that's already that's already out there because at this point I have two kids I don't have a lot of time to figure it out on my own and I say all that to say that I, I could talk about this stuff all day because I think and we're talking about investing so this is related to investing just investing in yourself but the thing I keep coming back to is I could have hesitated and never spent the money because it's a big number but again to this day I can't even quantify like what that ten thousand dollars has turned into it's just I mean it's like hey not and that's just as I'm sitting here what uh was this two years basically two years later we're not even thinking i'm not even thinking about what it's going to continue to do for the next 20 years 30 years or how it's, how that's going to compound so uh yeah it was the it was a course called client kit through traffic and funnels and uh kind of reshaped the way that i think about investing in myself and i think that um you know you've if within two years, if you've managed to get, if, if it's managed to like surpass the investment you've made, that, that's, that's pretty crazy. That's a very short amount of time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess that's true. I hadn't thought about it. like that. in my mind, whenever I spent that much, I was kind of hoping it would be way sooner than Tuesday. And it was, yeah. don't get me wrong, but like going into it, I was like, if I'm going to spend that much, I'd like to get it back pretty quick. Yeah. yeah. Otherwise it feels like, you know, it's a lot of money, but you're right. If you zoom out and go, Hey, $10,000, you get it back and Two years, that's pretty great. There's no, I mean, yeah, there's no doubt about it. Uh, well, um, now you are known, so our audience has gotten to know you. Um, and okay. we can move on to what our episode is actually about, which is smart investment management um, for beginners. Uh, I want to start kind of a bit broader than that. Our podcast is about self-improvement and personal management. So what what is personal development to you? How would you define it? Yeah, that's a, a big question that could go a lot of ways. Uh, but I think the way that I think about it is personal development is um, identifying the core areas of life that are about most important to, or importance to you and then prioritizing getting 1% better at those things every single day. Right. So what is personal development for me? Well, for me, like right now, some of the core domains in my life are uh, running a business, being a dad, being a husband, um, being a being a son, being a sibling, right? It, it, it's also want to prioritize my health. So there's all these domains of my life, these roles that I play, and it's what are the things personal development to me is what are the things that I can do to get a little bit better at each one of those things every single day. Not trying to make wholesale changes, massive improvements to just go from being good to great, but recognizing that it takes time and just focusing on. What are the small things I can do to get 1% better at each of these things every single day? Yeah. And it, I think it's kind of taking it day by day as well. Um, and just making sure that you do your best and the, and hope that your best is kind of a little bit better than what it was yesterday. Um, and then yeah. just keep kind of going that way. 
Yeah, and then I know this isn't going to be any groundbreaking insight, but it's something that I know I believe wholeheartedly and have to remind myself of, but also detaching yourself from the outcomes and focusing more on the systems, right? Detaching yourself from the things you can't control and focusing on what you can control and then letting that be your win for the day. So maybe you don't, maybe you want to lose weight, but that's a little bit out of your control because it may take time to lose weight, but what's in your control? Well, you can make sure that you go for a run every day, right? So like not celebrating the fact that you're losing weight, but celebrating the fact that you're doing the things along the way that lead to the outcome, the things that you can control. Absolutely. And what do you feel are the main challenges with personal development? <laughs> yeah, uh, a lot of things. Um, but it, this kind of this goes back to what I was saying at, at the beginning, where to me, the biggest challenge isn't knowing what to do. It's actually doing it. In other words, think of any any area of your life where you want to develop personally, any area where you want to get better. You can literally pull pull your phone out of your pocket and have answers on how to do it within seconds. So there's no shortage of information. So if you ever think to yourself, hey, I'm going to bridge the gap between where I am and where I want to be personally by doing more research, by getting more information, just know that that's never just the, the answer on its own. You, you don't have an information problem. Now, do you have to have some base level of information to know like what to do? Sure. But at some point, it's no longer an information problem. And you can just, you basically, you can waste your time and spend your tires, you, like, and find comfort in the fact that you're doing research, you're getting better because you're learning things. But until you actually do it, nothing's actually, nothing's actually going to change. Not only do it, but until you do it and stick with it. And so to me, that's the biggest challenge is trying to like, get yourself to be consistent and disciplined in anything that you want to do and recognizing that more information's never the answer, even as comforting as it can be to just sit there and go, all right, well, I'm going to start my, I'm going to start eating better next week, but until then I'm going to keep looking up like the, the best ways to eat. I'm going to, I'm going to start looking, I'm going to look up all the, the best diets that are out there. Right? I'm going to find like, what are the, there's the Atkins diet. There's the South Beach diet. Oh, am I going to be, am I going to be vegan? No. Like, okay. How do I want to incorporate keto? And you, and you just, it's like the shiny object syndrome where you go from one thing to the next. And before you know it, you're not sticking to any of them. And you realize, wait a minute, sorry. It's the, the, the real, the problem is, is it's not information that that's, that's, derailing me is the fact that I can't stick to one thing. It's finding that habit and kind of sticking to it. And we're, we're going to be talking a lot about habits and, and all of that um, later on yeah. as well. Um, let's, let's kind of focus in on our topic at hand. How do you define investment management? Yeah, I don't know that I necessarily have a great definition for that. Because um, that's one of those terms that I look at and I hear and I think like, I don't love it because I think it can mean so many different things to so many different people. Um, I, I guess if I was to try to boil it down, I would just say investment management. Investment management is basically how you allocate your money and how you invest your money, like as a in, inside of a portfolio in a way that makes sense for you. Like, what's your approach to and your philosophy around investing? What's your what's how is what's your personal um, guide for how you're going to manage? your investments uh, but even then like that's still so vague and kind of esoteric and you think about it you're like I, you know i don't know it's like what does that actually mean it probably means a lot of different things to a lot of different people yeah but i i think it, it makes a lot of sense when you consider that everyone's so different inherently and they're handling their money based on things that don't really make sense yeah of, of course everyone's going to have their own unique way of managing investments 
Yeah. No, yeah, no doubt about it. No doubt about it. Um, but yeah, so I think ultimately it's like, what's your plan for how you're going to invest your money? That's kind of the the boiled down, like simplistic, easy version, I think, of how to think through investment management. Right. Yeah, for sure. And how do you feel that investment management relates to personal development? Well, I kind of look at it like this and think that there's basically two areas or two domains of your life where you, whether you like it or not, you can't live without it. You can't get away from them. You can't live without dealing with it or acknowledging it. And it's your health and your wealth. And so ultimately, like if, when you, if you start with that mindset, you go, okay, these are two things that I have that are going to be domains of my life from now. And as long as I'm on this earth or things that I don't have to deal with, whether I want to or not, I think of it as being at the, like of utmost importance for personal development. You ha- you can't, <clears throat> it's a core component of personal development, especially when you think about the fact that anything that you want to do to develop personally, not anything, but oftentimes the things that you want to do to develop personally take money. Like money's just a, a component of our lives. It's, it's something that's there at all times, just like our health, whether we like it or not. And so I think you have to prioritize it and it has to be like one of the main focuses of developing personally is, is getting control of, getting a plan for and understanding and mastering your, your money, your finances and your investments. Absolutely. And okay. How do we begin with investing? How, how do we get started? I guess that's kind of the big question of today's episode. Yeah. So that is a big question. Another big question. So I think to get started, I think you first have to understand two things. One is that it's a lot easier than you think that it is. In other words, you have to get rid of this mindset or this belief that uh, there, like, that you will be able to out that you can find the stocks or the investments or the places to put your money that are going to outperform over time. What we know, what research tells us, is that even the best there's basically there's very few people in the world today who can invest money and outperform the just the stock market as a whole. And if anybody tries to tell you that they can, or they're on TV saying that they can, they can't either, because if they could, they'd be on a beach somewhere. They wouldn't be on TV. They would have already made all the money they could ever imagine, and they wouldn't be on TV anymore. They'd be, or if they were on TV because they need it for their ego, they'd be at the beach while they're on TV. But even then, that probably wouldn't be the case, right? So first is just recognizing that you have to get it. We have to get out of our heads that you you have the ability that you could possibly beat the market, outperform the market. The market's efficient as it is. So the idea is. The, the best investment strategy is the one that you start and stick with, start and stick with. So you have to get started because the second thing you want to know is that you have to know when it comes to investment investing is that time is your best friend. Time is your greatest ally. And just to give an example, uh, you know who Warren Buffett is? I imagine. Okay. Everybody knows who Warren Buffett is. Okay. So Warren Buffett, this stat, I remember reading this stat like four years ago and it blew my mind, still blows my mind to this day. But Warren Buffett, he's got like $84.5 billion net worth. Like, well, back when this was written, it was like $84.5 billion. So first of all, I don't know about you, I can barely even comprehend how much money that is. But but just stick with me for a second. So he had $84.5 billion and 84.2 billion of it was accumulated after after his mid-60s. I think he was age 66. And so you sit there and you're like, wait, what? How is that possible? And he's he's in his late 80s now. And so 80, almost the entirety of his wealth was accumulated after in his late 60s. So everybody thinks that Warren Buffett's secret is just being this great investor, this guy that he just he's a great stock picker, he picks great investments. And he does. He's still better than the than the average. 
but his average returns aren't that great. And this is in the book, Psychology Money, that I mentioned earlier. And the way he says it is that his secret, his secret's time. Because he, he started investing early, he's still investing to this day, and those thing, and his money's compounded to the point where now he's making more money today than he's ever made because the, the because of compounding. And so we all everybody wants to know like, hey, what's the best investment? How can I invest my money? How can I get a quick return? How can I get a big return? What are the investments that are gonna create that for me? And that's not a bad question to ask, but the more powerful way to grow your money and to grow your wealth is to just start as soon as possible because time's your greatest ally. And so that those are the two things I think you have to realize first and foremost is you don't want to try to beat the market. Number one, number two, you want to you want to do it as early and often because time is your greatest ally. And then from there, the, to get started, the best way you can do it is to uh, pick where you want to put your money, right? Send, put your money. Uh, don't put it in something that's low cost that, that minimizes your fees. And then and then you want to automate it. You want to automate your contributions. And this is something that's gained a lot of uh, steam in the last decade or so. But basically, like you don't want to leave it up to yourself to make these to, to make these contributions and invest money every month because something's going to happen, right? If it's up to you, you'll go, you'll forget. You'll go, well, I know I need to do that, but but it, it's, it's about to be Christmas. We haven't bought the Christmas gifts yet. I know we need to do that, but we've really, we owe ourselves a, a vacation, yeah. right? And so you start... If you're leaving it up to your own willpower, you're going to fail. The best thing you can do is automate it. Take the decision out of your hands so that it happens on its own every single every single month, every few months, whatever it is. Um, and those are kind of, I think, the keys to getting started is A, recognizing a couple of those things and then more tactically saying, take it out of your own hands. First, the best and most important thing you can do is set it up to be automated and then it's done. It's being taken care of and you never have to think about it again. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that um, it's so easy to automate all of those payments these days. It's all at the, f- the tip of our fingers. Um, and yeah. it's yeah. like a no brainer, essentially. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, that's a great point, too. It's like at this point, you have no excuse not to, right? Maybe, maybe like 20 years ago, that would have been pretty hard to do. And maybe there's ways to do it. 401ks have done it well in the U.S. I mean, our 401ks, our retirement plans have done it for a while now. But you're right; these days, with technology the way that it is, it, it, no matter where you have your money, I can almost guarantee that there's a way to set it up to automatically transfer whenever you want it to. Exactly. Exactly. Um, I'm assuming most of the people listening to or watching um, this episode are going to have some idea of, of what kind of investments they want to make or they're kind of like doing a bit of their own research. But for those stragglers who perhaps know nothing, where can we invest our money? What are the different kinds of investments um, and what are kind of the benefits and disadvantages of some of those? Yeah, so this is always the hard question because I do think that at some level there's like the the uh, macro discussion of what's the best way to invest your money. Macro meaning big picture, like by zoom out, just generally what's the best way. But then you can't it, you can't really tell somebody the best way to invest their money without diving in and looking at their situation personally, right? Because ultimately, your money is going to be used for a purpose, and that helps that helps generate the timeline that you're looking at, and the way that you invest your money is going to depend on the timeline that you have. So the way you invest money for 20 years from now is going to be different than the way you invest for 10 years from now is going to be different from the way that you invest for two years from now is going to be different from the way that you invest for two two months from now. So like first and foremost, like time frame is one of the most important factors to look at and evaluate when you're thinking about how you invest your money. But if I was to give just really kind of like one general big picture way to think about investing money that's probably helpful 
I think for anybody that's getting started is you, you basically you want to find, uh, you want to look for index funds or ETFs, index funds and ETFs. The, what they are is they're low cost ways to invest money and they're not trying to outperform or beat the market. You're not paying somebody, a, a fund manager to try to outperform the market because what we've found from research is that very few of them, if any, can actually do that consistently. So instead of you, instead of paying more fees, you keep more money in your pocket and you basically just track with exactly with what the market's doing. In fact, it's kind of funny, but uh, when they ask Warren Buffett, how would you advise your when you're gone, how would you tell your family to invest their money? That's that's his recommendation. His recommendation is when I'm gone, I hope they invest in index funds because that's the best way to be invested in the market. Um, and so that's if you're thinking very specifically, how, what's the way to approach it? Well, you that's that's the best way to get started. Or actually, I'm not even get started. That's the best way to do it. Now, the key though, at any point with investing, is the best investment is the one that you can stick to the longest. You don't want to disrupt the plan. You don't want to. You don't want to ever take it out. The one the ones that get the best returns, the investments that get the best returns, are the ones that stay in there the longest. So it's about yeah, just getting in there, getting started, minimizing the costs, but then you want to find something that you can stick to for, well, for like I said a second ago, whatever your time frame is, you want the one that you can stick to for the time frame that you have in mind. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And what, what can a beginner do to kind of, what, what are kind of the challenges and barriers, um, I guess, into getting into investing and how do you get over those challenges and barriers? The, so the, it, you may find that I, a lot of my analogies that I use or ways that I explain things to, uh, come back to uh, other areas of life, mainly health. Uh, and so the challenges and barriers are going to be pretty much the exact same as they are for if you decide that you want to get in better shape or you want to eat healthier or any change that you're trying to make in your life. It's going to be the same challenge and barriers, which is partially you're going to have a period there where you're like, well, I need to, I need to do a little bit more research. I need to know a little bit more and you'll find some comfort in just, in just basically saying, I'm going to do something. I'm going to research. And that makes you feel like you're doing something there. There's one of the challenges and barriers that you may run into at some point is then you get, you come in, you run into analysis paralysis or paralysis by analysis, where now you've done so much research that you, you're to the point where you go, Hey, uh, now I'm stuck and I can't do anything because I, I now I think I have too many options, right? So one of the challenges is, it, that's my roundabout way of saying, one of the challenges is just getting started. It's just doing something. The best thing you can do is to do something and get started and start creating uh, the habit. Absolutely, absolutely. So kind of getting started and when what we talked about um, around automation and all of that earlier should help continue the habit as well. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's the beauty of the automation is you don't have to, it's not your willpower trying to cre- continue the habit, right? It's not like you're sitting there and it's uh, late at night and there's a cookie right there and you have to muster up the willpower to say no. It's already, the decision's already made for you. The more you can automate some of those painful decisions in your life, the better off you're going to be. In fact, I wish that somebody had come up with a way for me to automate the decision to never eat a cookie late at night, but that hasn't been done yet. Or somebody could automate the uh, way for me to get out of bed and work out in the mornings, but that hasn't, that hasn't worked out either. But good news, life hack shortcut with your money you can do that from a savings and investing standpoint so that's good i think sometimes um a cookie might not be the best for your physical health but it's exactly what your brain and your mental health needs so sometimes you just have to give yourself that cookie after midnight (laughs) (laughs) thank you i I feel a lot better about that now so tonight when i'm struggling and i'm tempted i'm gonna call i'm gonna draw back this conversation and go you know what 
She was right. This is exactly what I need. In <laughs> fact, in fact, that, if that's the case, I need two. Exactly. <laughs> Why stop at one? <laughs> right, sure. right. If it's that good for me, right, yeah. All right. Um, I guess that's kind of one of the, the the barriers to getting into investments. But, you know, once you get going, say, you know, they, they've begun, um, they've taken their first step, they've automated their processes, things are going well. What are the things that might maybe get in the way of things continuing to go well, um, even if they yeah. have the perfect setup for themselves? Yeah, uh, this one's easy because we see it every day, all the time, especially in, in I mean, I shouldn't say every day, but you see it all the time. And that the biggest threat as you go along is just yourself, mainly uh, your own emotions. I mean, the, the the biggest threat to investment success is your own your your own brain, your own emotions, and your own feelings around money. So, for example, right, like <clears throat> the, anytime there's well, so recently here in the U.S., we had a bank collapse, right, the Silicon Valley Bank situation there's the uh, war in ukraine we're raising interest rates there's a uh, presidential presidential election like there's always something where you can look at it and go okay this is it the market's never going to come back from this i gotta get out or you look at it and you go okay i can't stomach this anymore i just can't do it like during COVID, right i still remember vividly what was happening during COVID, where people were trying to say they're going hey if the world shuts down then businesses can't be open. If the businesses can't be open, then our economy is going to crash. And I just can't come up with a way how the stock market's going to survive this. And so they would get nervous and they'd want to, they'd want to take their money and take it out of the, the market. And that's the worst thing you can do is disrupt the plan. It's just like, uh, it's just like working out or creating content or building a business. The best plan you have is the one you can stick to without disrupting it for the longest and investing is no different. And we are our own worst enemies because we think, and by the way, I also sympathize with this because I do think that when you get in those moments, it's really easy to create this narrative and the story in your head that says, oh, this time is different. This time it's not going to come back. How am I going to stomach it when my account, when you, I log in and I see that my, let's call it, if you say $50,000, let's say my, and there's people here that will have saved less, listening that have saved less, some people that have saved more. So just you think about your account and logging in and you see that you've lost $50,000 now or 20,000 and you start creating these stories in your head where you go, well, I mean, what if it goes down to 20,000? What if it goes down to 10,000? We get so hyper-focused and zoomed in on that one situation that we lose sight of the big picture and go, okay, we've, we've been through things like this before and we know that the market trends up over time. So we're, the biggest threat are your own, your own beliefs, your own emotions, your own fears, that will cut that will force you or not force you but will tempt you to come in and take money out to stop investing and that's the worst thing you can do to disrupt your long-term wealth accumulation absolutely and i think that's really timely especially now because you were mentioning all the stuff that's happening in the u.s but i think there's just a global inflation and cost of living crisis just happening everywhere and people are way right. more way more worried and way more financially insecure and we don't have a bank collapse here in australia and our stock market is a bit more stable but um people are still feeling the pinch uh, i guess it's just yeah. it's just like expensive um everything is yeah. expensive at the moment so i think that's yeah, kind so of wait, timely I, advice i'm gonna um take something that you just said because i do think it's interesting and relevant here you said people are way more worried way more concerned and so from my vantage point just from talking to people their money all the time it's we're not any more worried or concerned than we were 
when we went to war with Ukraine or, and I shouldn't say we, cause I, I mean, it's different. Sometimes it's different based on where you live, but, but for the most part, like every country, every place, everywhere you live, you, we've been through different situations, whether locally or globally. It's, there's always something. I don't think we feel any different. We just, it's the same feeling. And it's just, sometimes it's hard to go, okay, I, I'm going to be okay. This is going to be okay. We've been through this before. Uh, and, and just trusting and believing that we're going to make it through and i've seen it the, the, the i've seen it time and time again that no, the so i've had people who their plans their investments the what their money was for the market never actually blew up the, their investments the, the the rate of return never actually blew up the plan they are the ones that would blow up their own plans. now i'm not criticizing them i also completely get and understand that there's an emotional release that comes from when you're anxious about your money taking money out of the market you can feel at peace you can sleep better that way i, I get that i don't this isn't a judgment thing it's just I, the the only thing that'll derail your future the only thing that'll derail your plans isn't the money that's invested it's how you react to the way that the money is invested your own behavior if you will mm -hmm, mm -hmm, for sure is there a right time to cash in on your investments uh for when you need the money right yeah. It's, the only, it's the only time. Yeah. Like that's what, when I was saying earlier, some money is going to be earmarked for 20 years, some for 10, some for two years, some for two months. The the only time to cash in is when you need it. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Uh, all right. That brings us to the end of our interview. Um, and we might move on now to our practice slash habit experiment debrief, um, uh, where we kind of go f figure out a way to put everything we learned uh, into some form of practice. I, I wanted to start this by asking you, what's a practice or a habit that you did when you first started investing? Okay. So we've already covered one of them, which I thought this might happen. So that's good. So that's why I have a backup. Once again, a two for one. Uh, so the practice or habit that I started when I, when I first got into investing was the, uh, number one was going to be the automation, you know, automating and making sure that that was done month in and month out, no matter what. Uh, but the second one, which I think is, should I say more powerful? Yeah. At least equally as powerful, um, is getting really, really clear and spending time figuring out the things that are most important to you in your life and aligning your money with that. So for example, right? So what do I mean by that? Uh, uh, to me, you don't, you can't know how to invest your money until you know what you're going to use it for. So you want to get really clear on the things that you're going to be using it for. Right? So a couple of, uh, uh, an example of how that's played out in our life has been, we know that it's really important for us to take uh, family vacations down to our favorite beach spot in Florida every year. Right. So we've, we make all of our money, well, not all of our money, but a big factor in our money decisions is making sure that we get to take those trips every year because that's important to us. Right. So getting clear on what it is that's, that you want to use your money for and using your money to do that. Another way, and the other thing that happens when you get really clear on what's important to you and how you want to, how you want to spend your money is it makes decisions a lot easier. Okay. So, uh, what was this? Three and a half, almost four years ago, my wife were going, my wife and I were, were looking for a house. We we're about to move. And there were two houses we had to choose from. There was one house that was about $50,000 less as far as the market price goes than the second house. No, sorry. One house was $50,000 more than the second house, right? So you got house one, house two, house one's $50,000 more. House one is also five minutes down the road from my wife's parents, from my in-laws. House two was about 25 minutes down the road 
from my wife's in-laws. And we we had just had our first kid. Family is really important to us. Being able to spend time with family, not only just to have them help, but also like to be but to be there for birthdays, holidays, weekends, doing things together. That we were both raised that way. That's something that we both prioritize and value probably above all else is time with family. And so what on a spreadsheet would have said was probably not a smart decision to spend that much more money on a house. Like with it, we, we could look at it and go, look at how much money this is going to cost us over the rest of our lives. Look at all the other things we could be doing with this money. Well, that's true, but we were able to sit down and go, okay, we knew we were clear on what's important to us. We looked at it. We were like, family's the number of the one most important thing to us. We, so we could take that money. We could go spend it on maybe another car, a nicer car. We could buy nicer things, but that's not what we want to spend money on. We want to spend money on the things that matter to us. And so it became not an easy decision, but a much easier conversation for us to go, is it worth spending that extra money for the house that's closer uh, to my to my in-laws? And that's ultimately how we ended up making the decision. And that's what we did. And to this day, three and a half, four years later, we talk all the time about how thankful we are that we're that close. I mean, at least once a month we go, can you, can you imagine if we were 25 minutes away? I know it doesn't seem like a big deal, but if, but if you ever drive 25 minutes or think about doing it, it's kind of a long way. Like I, I know we would see them less if we lived that long. Now, somebody may be listening going, yeah, well, you're probably telling yourself that to justify your decision to spend that much more money. And maybe that's true too. And if that's the case, just don't, don't burst my bubble. Let me at least feel good about it. I, I do think when you have new kids, the closer you are to grandparents, the better. Um, in general, <laughs> it's always yeah, good to have them sanity. nearby for you. Sanity, um, yeah. anxiety, all of that really, really right. helps uh, manage all of that for sure. So I don't personally think <laughs> you're talking yourself up there. Um, <laughs> and uh, if anyone is, they probably just haven't had kids. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably true too. That's right. Uh, what are three good things about this practice? Yeah, I mean, well, I guess I already mentioned two of them. One is uh, if, when you get really clear, then you get to use the money on the things that you that are important to you. And so when you do that, you live a more meaningful, more fulfilled, happier life. Number two is when you get really clear on the things that are important to you, then you also, it becomes a filter through which to make big, important decisions. So uh, Roy Disney, Walt Disney's brother, but is famous for saying that when your values are clear, your decisions are easy. So when you get really clear on your values and what's important to, or to you, it becomes the, now I, if I ever meet Roy Disney, I'm probably going to say, Hey Roy, I love that quote. I use it all the time, but I don't think I would have said easy. I think I would have said when your values are clear, your decisions are at least a little bit easier than they were beforehand, but, but maybe I'm doing it wrong. Who knows? Um, and so then you go, okay, I, I, then you, your decisions become easier. You now have a filter and a lens through which to make your decisions. But the other thing that it does that, that we really haven't had much to talk, we haven't talked about much, but I'm a big believer in is it helps you illuminate where you can spend, dial up and spend more money and not feel guilty about it. Right. right? So in other words, um, one of the ways that my wife and I do that is we love taking vacations together. And so we're okay staying at nicer hotels because we like the nicer hotels when we go on vacations. And that's something that we've enjoyed that we like doing. And so some people may look at it and be like, hey, you're going on vacation. All you're going to be doing is sleeping in the room. Do you really need to spend that much money on it? And that's fine. I get that I get that uh, viewpoint too. That's how I used to look at things. I was like, we just need a room to stay in, find the cheapest one. We'll be out and about anyways. Well, but now it's kind of become important to us to have nice rooms to stay in because we like to stay in and relax. And so maybe maybe if you look at the, the uh, look at it as a line item, you'd look at it as a waste of money. But for what, for what we know, it's important to us to spend money on that. So we dial that up 
then spend more money on that. And then at the same time, we probably spend a little bit less on, um, you know, the things that other people are, are passionate about. Like there's, I know like there's people out there that like to spend a lot of money decorating their house and having the nice, the best bedroom that they could possibly have. And to, and to me, to us, it's like, that's not important to me. Like my, the car that I drive is 10 years. I was thinking about it today. It's 10 years old. It, it doesn't look good, but like driving a nice car is not important to me. But, but if I can, if I can fly first class, if we get that opportunity, I don't hesitate to do that. If we can stay in nicer hotel rooms, I don't hesitate to do that. And it's this whole idea of when you get clear on what you, what's important to you, you can dial that up and feel good about it without having to feel guilty. Like, oh man, is that worthwhile? Is that okay to spend that much money on that? You don't feel the same spin shaming that you get um, when you get clear on that sort of thing. Yeah, absolutely. I was just thinking when you use that analogy of travel, like I, um, I will spend probably an unfair amount of money more on a nice airline to make sure that stuff like my yeah. baggage is handled and I don't have to worry about turbulence yeah. and paying extra for a meal and, and, and that kind of thing. Um, oh, that's, that's great. That's yeah. a perfect example. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. kind of my thing. And I, I have, especially as you know, I'm in my twenties. So most, most people traveling in their twenties are very cheap. Um, they will find the cheapest possible way to, to get around anywhere. But, uh, for me, it's, it's yeah. the flights. I have, I have to splurge on flights um otherwise i just do not feel comfortable i get flight sickness as well so it's just it's just better yeah and see you have all these great reasons for it like it's bringing you more comfort more peace of mind less stress less headache and so like yeah you look at that and you're like of course you would do that like no one should ever feel like you should never feel like you should have to spend less than that but society like money advice would tell you that you shouldn't spend like you could like why would you spend more on those things those are luxuries and that that's the kind of stuff that rubs me the wrong way. It's the same crowd that tells you, you, this example gets used a lot now, but the same crowd that tells you like, oh, whatever you do, don't go buy a latte from Starbucks every day because that thing about how much money you can be saving, if you didn't, it's like, you know what? If you can afford to buy a latte at Starbucks, you know, go ahead, do it. If you can afford to do the slightly nicer things, then you should do it as long as you've got all these other things taken care of as well, as long as you're not spending irresponsibly, right? So like for me, another example is um, I love taking my kids to sporting events, right? So basketball games, baseball games, football games. And so to me, that's one of those things that I just, I don't like, I don't hesitate with. So if there's a chance to go, that's one of my priorities. If I find the opportunity, if there, I, I look at it and I go, all right, I don't even think twice. I go, I buy the tickets. We go, we have a great time. It's an experience, right? I'm not spending it on a thing, uh, you know, an IAA, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like a material item, right? That, that devalues over time. I'm spending it on an experience that I'll remember forever. I'm investing time with my kids. And that's one of those things where I go, that, that's a no brainer. And I'm happy to spend money on that book. Books are another one. This is a, uh, another rule that I got from, from somebody else. He's like, one of my rules in life is I, anytime I see a book, I, I, if that I want, I buy it. I don't question it. So I kind of started implementing that. That's been free. And you're like, Hey, that's one of my rules. If I want a book, I buy a book. Right. So now I've got a whole shelf of books behind me. Uh, although there's not that many books back there, I bought more than that. But anyways, yeah, just some examples of like, when you get clear on these things, it's liberating because you don't, you don't stress about how you're spending your money anymore. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I guess when, when you're trying to, trying to assess your values and, and judge your investments based on that, how do people begin to do that? Is there like a questionnaire they can take or are there specific things you might tell your clients or maybe that you asked yourself to kind of figure out um, at the beginning of this process? 
That's a great question. Um, and it's one that takes a lot of time to th- talk through doing it, I think, the right way. Uh, but but I do think it's worthwhile to like think through some ways or some prompts you can give yourself to do it. Like th- so what I do and what I teach advisors to do is basically to go through an entire exercise. You, go, you spend an entire hour to hour and a half with somebody helping them clarify these things so like and that's if you're sitting there with them guiding them through it you can help illuminate these things for them um but so number one i would say there are some um like you can find in a bunch of different places all you have to do is go online and google or type in um, values cards right or um life priorities and you'll get these these cards and these exercises you can go through and sort through and there'll be instructions on there of what to do like how to figure out what the things are that are most important to you that's one way to do it uh, another way to do it is to do what they call uh to an anti-goal exercise anti-goal meaning it, we, we have a hard time trying to think through what we really really want in life like we think we know what we want we don't really know what we want because we don't sit or we don't sit around thinking about it that much uh, and if you do ask somebody what their goals are, they're going to give you like the thing that comes the, the top of the mind answer that's not really that meaningful. Now, there's certain people that are listening, probably one to two percent that'll go, "No, that's not me. I think about this a lot." And that and those people do exist; they're just rare. Um, but you, instead of asking yourself what you want, you ask like, "What What are the things I want to make sure to avoid? What are the things that I would regret if they were to happen in five years, six years, seven years?" Right? And so. To give you an example of that, um, like for me, my worst case scenario would be that I have I have a job where I'm a slave to it every single day and I miss out on watching my my kids grow up. So what does that mean? Well, that means that um, I, whenever, I, whenever I go in to do my calendar, my schedule every week, I make sure that I don't have anything before nine. I don't have anything else to do after four. I only I schedule a little bit more flexibility in the mornings. I don't wanna work for anybody else because I wanna be able to take off whatever I can, right? And then I want to have the flexibility to to essentially say, hey, if today I don't feel like working and I feel like I want to spend time with my kids, I get to do that, right? So I didn't sit down and go, hey, this is what I want. I want to do these things. I started by saying, what do I not want? And then I turned around and redesigned what I wanted out of that. Another way is I do speaking, right? So I, I and I love it. I have a great time doing it. But I, one thing I know is I don't want to be gone speaking multiple nights a week every month, right? And so what does that mean? Well, that means that when I when I came, when I looked at how to draw out and map out what was important to me from speaking, what that looked like, I didn't want to speak more than two nights, or sorry, I didn't want to be gone more than two nights a month because I don't want to be gone for my kids that much. Now, there'll be a point in time in their lives when they probably don't want me around, but I didn't start by saying, this is what I'm gonna do. I started by saying, what would I regret? I would regret being gone two to three, or sorry, let's say two weeks a month traveling and speaking. And I'd look back on it 50 years from now and be like, I don't think I would ever go, you know what? I wish I would have, I wish I would have, would have been gone a couple more nights. A month. I think I'll probably look back and go, you know what? I wish I would have been more present, enjoyed that the time that we had with our kids a little bit more when we had it. So that's another way to do it is think about what are the things you don't want, the things you don't want to avoid. And that could, that uh, clarifies or crystallizes for you the things that are really important to you. Um, and then the last thing that I that, that I've done that um, I think is helpful is you sit, take a minute to think back, think back over the last week or the last month. Look at your bank account. Look at your look at pick up your phone. Look at the pictures in your phone and go through and look and see. Hey, what were the things that I did that I thoroughly enjoyed doing that I that I enjoy doing every time that I do them, and I wish that I did more of. 
this is how I came up with the idea to do more uh, sporting events and getting experiences with my with my boys is because I went back, I'd look at pictures and be like, man, some of our best times we have are when we get out of the house and we go watch these games together. They love it. I love it. It's a great time. And then I sat there and I was like, hang on. Well, we can do more of this. Why don't we do more of it? Right? Or the other example is uh, my wife and I didn't sit down and go, hey, one thing we love to do together is go to concerts. We went to concerts. We And then we sat there and we were like, hey, we love going. We have a great time and we do it. Why don't we go to more concerts? So now that's something that we do together more often. It didn't come from just saying, hey, what do we want to do? It came from not projecting, but reflecting and saying, what are the things that we enjoy doing and how can we do more of it? And then if you want to go next level, by the way, sorry, you can tell at this point that this is something I'm passionate about. This might have to be my open mic segment because I could go on it all day. Uh, but you sit there and you go, okay, what is it? But not only what are the things that I've, I've, that I've done and how can I do more of it, but what is it? about those things that I like, that I enjoy? And then what are other ways to, to create that? What are other avenues to create that? What are the things that I get out of that, that I can, and then how can I create that in other areas moving forward? If does that, if that makes sense? Yeah, no, that absolutely makes sense. And right. I, I think um, experience is the best teacher sometimes. Uh, and just kind of looking in, looking back on what you've already done is, the best way to go about it and the idea yeah. i'm getting as well is that um figuring this stuff out does take time it's not going to happen in like half an hour um you really need to sit down and think about it for a while well and, and not only that but then not only does it do you not and not only does it take time but then it also evolves and it changes and it shifts so as you go through different stages and steps of your life i often i often liken it to going to the eye doctor where you, you go once a year and you get this checkup, right? You go in, they check your your vision, your eyesight. And you know, oftentimes you go in and nothing's changed, right? It's like, okay, well, at least I'm good. At least I know I can still see. That makes me feel good. But sometimes something's changed. And then when, when you walk out, you're like, man, I'm glad I went. This is the same thing. When you're thinking about what's important to me in my life, what are my values? What do I want to prioritize? It's always good to do some check-ins, to, to think about it, to go through an exercise and, and check in with yourself. And a lot of times things haven't changed, especially if you've done it well, right? You're going to find that a lot of things don't shift. Like maximizing the time that we spend with our family has been pretty consistent for a while. That hasn't really changed, right? But it's good to check in, make sure that's still right. And then maybe there's some things that need to be updated. Just like when you go to the eye doctor, you're like, all right, I'm glad I went. Now I can see better. Same thing. Now I can see my life better. Now I have a better lens through which to make these money decisions and these life decisions because I took the time to figure out what's truly important to me, where my purpose lies, what brings me meaning and fulfillment. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, I feel like this ties really well in, into kind of your definition of personal um, personal development as well, which is kind of like incrementally doing little by little, but then like checking in and, and seeing how far you've come kind of since then. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I think that, yeah, I, I hadn't even thought about that. Uh, but I'm definitely going to be stealing that and making that connection moving forward. Definitely. So thank you for that. <laughs> You're welcome. Uh, that brings us to the end of our debrief. Uh, so thank you so much for sharing all of that with us. I'm sure the audience really, yeah. really appreciates it and has something to take away from this. Uh, we have a couple of questions from the audience. Are you happy to answer them? Of course. Cool. So what sum of money is smart to begin investing without high risk? What is your recommended starting amount? And I know this question is difficult because we talked about how it's different for everyone. Um, but is there, I don't know, perhaps a percentage uh, that you tend to kind of begin with and then like, 
you know, move and shape into something that works. Yeah. So like you said, it's really hard because it's so dependent on so many different things, so many different variables. I mean, you look at it and you could say there's some people out there. It's also, this depends on how much you make and how much you're going to need in the future. But if you're saving anywhere between five and 20%, then you know, at least you're doing something like five, you can probably do more 20. You're probably doing really well. Maybe you could do more. You could probably even do less, but let's just say, let's call it ballpark five to 20%. I think that that's probably like a good rough range to put it in. But here's what I think is more important than that. Not how it's not like what's the ideal number. I think what's more important is, or the better answer would be to say, the best number is the one that you can do and you feel comfortable that you can do and do over and over and over. Again. So the best number is the number that you can stick with. And and so I'll use I'll use this example again. I'm going back to health, right? So so and I, maybe I need to branch out and find other analogies, but everything seems to relate so well. Um, so let's uh, there's this app out there called uh, Noom N O O M. So you go on there. Have you heard of it? I've heard of it. Yeah, yeah. Okay. See, it's and it's cool. It's really great. You go on there. You're like, all right. It's got this whole psychology component built in to help you actually change your behavior. But it has one flaw, and that is, I go in, and I, I didn't do this. I, uh, somebody in my life did. I'm not going to call them out. They'll probably kill me if they know I'm talking about it publicly. But anyways, you go on there. You type in, uh, hey, here's how much I weigh today. Let's call it this. These aren't these aren't real numbers, but let's say I weigh 200 pounds today. Uh, I want to weigh 180 pounds in six months. So it asks you all these things. How much do you weigh today? What's your goal? I want to lose 20 pounds. Okay, great. When do you want to lose it by? Six months from now. And I'm sim- I'm simplifying it very much here, but but it's just to make a point. It's still the gist of it, right? So 200 pounds, want to be 180. I've got six months to do it. And it does the calculations for you. It's like, okay, perfect. Based on everything you said, we crunched all these numbers. We analyzed it. And in order to do that, you could, you you uh, if you'll eat 1,100 calories a day, then you can do you wait? Hang on, hang on. Do you guys do calories over there? Is that we a? Do I know the U.S. does a lot we of weird calories. metrics. We do calories. All right, okay. All right, all right, all right. So all right, I know we're weird over here. So I just want to make sure. All right. So it's like you you can only eat eleven hundred calories a day, and if you do that, you'll lose twenty pounds in six months. Well, that's great. It told me exactly what I needed to do, right? But eleven hundred calories you can get after eating almost like one big salad. So that's not many calories. So asking somebody to only eat 1,100 calories a day may be good ideal advice, right? So just like, hey, what's the good number to start saving? What's a good number to start investing? I can tell you a good number. I can tell you exactly how to get to where you want to go. But if, I, if it's something you can't stick to, then it's not going to matter. So the best number, the best number, the best answer is what you feel comfortable with doing, that you're capable of doing, that you can stick with for the long run. Absolutely. I think that's a really good kind of takeaway, especially based on everything uh, we've talked about. Um, The next question is, is it ever a good time to make a risky investment? Yeah, I think there is. Uh, I don't think it's often. Um, But uh, there's also some nuance there. I wish we could get into more more into, uh, I would ask you, what do you mean by risky? What do you think of when you hear risky investment? What comes to mind? so generally speaking, if you think about the dynamic or the relationship between risk and return, then what we know is the more risk that you're willing to accept, the higher the return that you could possibly get. But at the same time, you've also got to deal with the lower lows. So more risk means higher highs. It also means lower lows. Okay. So risky can be good if you have the stomach for it. And assuming that you you are putting all your eggs in one basket, right? So 
it, it, the riskies, it, there's an okay time to be risky. If you also have other stuff that's a little bit safer, um, risky, you also don't want to make, you don't want to make risky investments if you're going to use the money anytime soon. And then the biggest thing is you just want to make sure if it's, if it's truly a really, really risky investment, a risky asset class, risky thing where it's like truly this, this could go to the moon or it could tank and be worth absolutely nothing. Like, like for example, some of these, um, digital currencies where it's like, okay, I may hit a home run or I may lose everything I'm worth. I think the most important thing you have to remember is it's okay as long as it's a very small percentage of what you have. So if I've got $50,000 to invest, I'll use that number again. Like I, you, you maybe you took like, I don't know, maybe at most $5,000 and put it in a risky investment, maybe more. I mean, I guess it's hard. Again, it all depends. It's all individualized, right? But uh, but you certainly don't want to put $25,000, $30,000 in a risky investment because you could lose it all. So there, there is a place for it, but it has to be done within the context of your time frame that you have in mind and also how you've got other money invested. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think the rest of the audience questions were kind of already answered by um, the episode and, and what we've talked about so far. So I might move on to the open mic uh, in which I let you have a mini TED talk about whatever you want to have. Um, this is your moment, uh, your soapbox. Uh, what would you like to talk about for a few minutes? Oh, man. Uh, I already went on one of my mini soapbox, one of my TED talks, which is the the importance and power of understanding what's truly important to you. And then using that for to know how to spend your time, effort, and energy, and money when it comes to life. The other thing that I talk about all the time that I guess is probably a soapbox of mine um, is the power of truly listening to somebody. And so what we know from research is that when you go ask people, do you have somebody that truly listens to you in your life that about 60% of people say that they do. The other 40% of people don't have anybody that actually listens to them. And of the 60% that do, they, they, they say they have one at most, but very rarely do they have more than one person that truly listens to them. And to me, that's sad. It's kind of like, it's kind of crazy that it's that hard to make somebody feel heard and understood and, and be able to listen to them at that level. And I think it's important for us to recognize that and go, hey, you know what? Like I can make a difference in somebody's life if I'm just willing to actually take the time to invest in them and listen to the things that they have to say to help them be truly heard and truly understood. So anytime you've met, anytime you've talked with somebody that you know is a good listener, you know how powerful and how good that feeling is, right? So like uh, one of the questions I ask on my podcast at the end is who's the best listener in your life? What does that person do so well to make some such a great listener. And every time they talk about it, they talk about this person, they get a smile on their face. They talk about how meaningful this person is to them. Never do they talk about an acquaintance or somebody that they don't know very well. It's always somebody that's really close to them and important in their lives. And those are the people that truly listen to you. So, and I guess I'd say this, there's two things I always think about. Well, well, yeah, I guess I'll say two things I always think about. One is think back to the last conversation you had with somebody. And I'll, ch- I'll challenge you to do this too. Think back to the last conversation you had with somebody where you sat there and you thought to yourself, man, that was a really good conversation. I, I really enjoyed that. I like that person a lot. I wish we could hang out more often. I want to get together with them again. Or you sit there going, I, I hope we get to do this again. I really enjoyed uh, I really enjoyed hanging out with them. I, if, we t- if we recorded that conversation, we went back and looked at it, I would, get, I would be willing to bet with about a 99% degree of certainty that you did more of the talking than they did. 
that they sat there and listened to you and asked you questions and they were genuinely interested and curious in the things that were going on in your life and made you feel like you were the most important to them in that moment. And that's why you love the conversation so much is because you felt heard and understood and they were genuinely interested in you. We all long for that to some degree. And so I, I, one of the things I always like to challenge people to do is um, take a take a second, think about the three people or th- five, three people that in your life that you feel comfortable texting and asking, hey, who's the best listener in your life and what makes them such a great listener? And it's just really cool to start seeing, have people send you back responses and see what makes somebody a good listener and then go and try to do that in the lives of others. Now you can't do it with everybody, right? I get that. Like it, it, it can be, it actually takes some focus and some energy and some attention, but you know the feeling when somebody truly listens to you. And I think it's a gift to be able to give that to somebody else. And by the way, if you're in, if you do anything where, you know, you want to build trust, build connection, by the way, if you, if you're with a spouse, you're with a partner, like we all, it's no secret that at the end of the day, they just want to be heard. They don't want things. Sometimes you just want somebody to feel it and not fix it. Right? Same thing goes when you have kids. Well, uh, parents are always like, yeah, I just can't get through to them. I can't get them to do anything that I need to do. I can't get them to open up and talk to me. And it's like, well, are you listening to what's actually important to them? Or are you just telling them what to do? Or are you asking them boring questions that they don't want to answer? And I know it's hard, right? Because we have to do some self-reflection there. But there's so much, I think... Um, relationship altering power and the ability to truly listen to somebody and we all and here's what's funny i'll i'll see now i'm on my, I'm on my soapbox i'm giving my ted talk here's the thing that's all that's always blows my mind about this is that what i know what we know from research is that every the, the people that are listening to this everybody that's listening the vast vast majority will sit there and go totally agree yep completely agree listening is important but i'm a good listener Everybody, like the vast majority, nobody, very few are saying they're going, I need to be a better listener. Everybody thinks they're a good listener. It's like those studies that show that, that um, we think that the majority of people think they're better looking than the average person. The majority of people think they're better drivers than the average person. We all think we're better, we're good listeners. The reality is, very few people are actually good listeners. And in fact, there's a study that shows that, uh, that somebody like on average, a person gets listened to about 5% of the time in their life. Like we're just not good listeners. And if we can accept that and start focusing on it, I think it has truly, like I said, relationship altering capability. So, all right, I'm going to put the mic down now. I, I, before I keep going, it's just something that I get fired up about. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I think that's, uh, that's, um, it's really key. You were talking about, you know, how it's important to listen in a relationship, you know, with your spouse or your partner. Um, but when you have kids as well, like you kind of, sometimes they do want to feel and not want to fix things. Sometimes you do just want to hear their emotions yeah. out, especially I remember when I was a teenager, that's all I wanted instead of my parents providing me with solutions all the time. Yeah. Um, so like, it's so important. I think people forget that. Yeah, that's you're exactly right, and I'm glad you said that because I think we've all been there. We we all just at some point want to be heard and understood, and then we might be ready for some advice, maybe, but not always, right? But like, yeah, I think that the best example is like with teenagers. You know, you you want you want your parent. Like, imagine that you have a a parent that goes instead of saying like, okay, here, okay, hang on. So here's the example I think of a lot because it feels so close to home. But imagine that you you're you're out walking on the sidewalk. And there's a dog over there in the other yard. You're with your your kid. I don't know. Let's say your kid's 5, 10, 15, doesn't matter. The dog starts barking, right? Kind of a ferocious bark, vicious bark. 
and your kid gets scared. Your first reaction in that moment is to go, hey, don't worry. Don't worry. You don't need to be scared. Nothing to be scared about. Nothing to worry about. It's just a dog. They're not, everything's safe. Don't worry. I've got you. And, and like, that's so instinctive that when I, when I was reading this example, I'm going, well, that's definitely what I would have said. Like, that's, I mean, what else are you supposed to do? Well, what you've done is you've basically told them that their feelings are, are, aren't valid, right? That they shouldn't feel the way that they feel, which is, by the way, a crappy feeling, a terrible feeling, right? And so instead you say uh, something like, and by the way, I haven't perfected this, so this isn't going to be perfect, but but instead of like invalidating their feelings, you, you say, oh, I bet that scared you or... Yeah, you know, it sounds like that bark might have might have scared you a little bit. And instead of saying, "Hey, you shouldn't feel that way," you just say, "Hey, I want to hear about how you feel." And this is like this is listening paired with like questioning, but you're trying to listen to what they're feeling and try to get them to tell you how they feel. And it's one of those deals where you hear it and you're like, "Oh man, I definitely would have said not to be afraid." Like that's my I guarantee I would have tried to give advice, but like, "Don't worry, nothing to be afraid of." And meanwhile, the, the your, your kid is sitting there going. It's like, like, am I not supposed to feel this way? Kate, I just want you, I want you to understand that I'm scared, right? And then after you understand that, then I'm more open-minded. But that's the example I always come back to because it's the most humbling because I know that I would drop the ball 100% of the time every time. Yeah, when you said it, I was like, oh, I say that to my dog every time he gets a bit spooked <laughs> when we walk past him. <laughs> and he definitely can't understand me, but I'm sure he feels uh, me invalidating his feelings every time I say it. <laughs> yeah. uh, but thank you so much um, for joining me on the show so far. Brendan, where can um, the audience find you? Yeah, so the um, I guess the best place to connect on uh, social media, I'm on Twitter and LinkedIn a lot. So Twitter's at J, Brendan Fraser, the letter J. And then LinkedIn's just Brendan Fraser. So you can find me and connect with me on there. I'm pretty active on there most every day. So, Fantastic. Thank you so much. It's been lovely talking to you. I've had a really great time. Yeah, thank you for having me. This has been great. You've been listening to Self-Improvement Atlas, the personal science insights podcast produced by LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. For more episodes like this from 10 different life management perspectives, search LMSL on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, so you can get updated on everything we have to offer. We have a wide range of topics readily available for you to check out. If you enjoy this episode, please consider rating our show, sharing it, and subscribing to our channel, as it helps us grow and bring you more quality resources. More of our work can also be found on our website at pe.lmsl.net, where you can join our movement. I'm Aditi Kutti. Thanks for tuning in.